sanctuary this morning, along with those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning at First Church. Before we start our service, I have several announcements. There are still a few Advent devotionals left. You can pick them up at the entrances or at the information center back here in the sanctuary. Next Sunday is Children's Christmas Program and Choir Cantata. This takes place at 9 a.m. and it is during our normal worship service that morning. It will be live-streamed on Facebook, as we normally do, 
for our radio listeners at 1015, Pastor Joel will be recording an Advent 3 message especially for you. The Giving Tree is up in the Heritage Room. It benefits the Elizabeth New Life Pregnancy Center in Sydney. Please take a tag and return your gift or gift card by December 27th. The Adult Sunday School class, which takes place over in the Ministry Center, resumes again today. And my last announcement is on a sad note. A longtime member of our congregation, Lee Kuman, passed away on Friday, December 3rd. Visitation will take place from 10 to 12 a.m. on Thursday, December 9th at the Ministry Center with the funeral to follow. So please keep the Kuman family in your prayers. That takes care of my announcements for today. So would you please rise and join me in our call to worship? This morning is taken from page 130 out of the Blue Hymnal. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Please remain standing as we sing our opening hymns this morning. There's two of them. Hymn number 131, and then I'll be followed by 133. Please sing only the Mark verses this morning. I'm sorry. They tell me there's three hymns this morning. What's the other one? 130? Okay. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase this. Please remain standing for opening hymns this morning which are 131, 132, and 133, the marked verses only. Thank you.
Please be seated. Now, will the children come forward for the children's chat with Carolyn Lammers? Here. Did you guys like that singing this morning? Huh? Everybody's so excited. They have so much joy. Hi. Good morning. Everybody looks Christmassy. Where's all my people at? I strung 39 of these this morning. Here. Can you get them? Can you shake them? Do I hear you guys shaking? Huh? Can you shake them? Real loud. Huh? We're going to talk about peace, which is why we didn't buy big bells, because mom and dad would wonder what the term peace really meant. Huh? Huh? Everybody got one? Huh? Everybody got one? Huh? You got to get a bell. Okay. All right. Let's see our... Oops. Forgot two of you. Gotta ring them. They have nice little tinkly sounds, don't they? Huh? Okay, let's ring them. Like everybody sang this morning, they were so excited. Everybody likes Christmas songs. We talked about peace and joy and all that neat stuff. Okay, now take your bell, put it in your hand, squeeze your hand around it. Now shake it. I don't hear anything. Do you? What happened? Did we take the joy and stuff out of it? You know, that's what happens at Christmas. You know, in our heart, that little bell's our heart, we put Jesus in there because we believe in him and we thank God for him. And if we let all the stuff going on outside of us, like too busy with parties or too busy with that, then we forget what Christmas is really like, don't we? And then we sound, we don't make any happy sounds. We don't have joy and peace, do we? Put your hand around there. But if we allow Jesus in there and not let all that other stuff take over, we have happy, happy sounds. So during this Christmas time, keep your bells ringing, okay? And we're going to, you know, say a little prayer here. And you think about joy and peace, because that's what the songs were all about this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you bring peace and joy into all of our hearts during this season. Help us to ring out the good news that Jesus Christ is born. Thank you. And you guys can head back to your second Sarah Shrolicky for our Advent reading this morning. And Angie, too, it looks like. <laughs> we gather around the Advent wreath today, knowing that we are not perfect, that we all make mistakes and do bad things. Only Jesus obeyed God fully. Jesus helps us to live as God wants us to live. The first scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and withholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is peace. For Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Christ's name is also Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gives us peace. The second scripture reading comes from John, chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Please pray with me. Eternal God, we thank you that through all the years you have given peace to your people. Help us to have your peace in our lives. In this Advent season, we pray that you will help us shine the light of your presence to those around us so that they may also have peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. This time as we turn our attention in the service to the offering, our, our offering does go to support the general fund. So if you're able to give this morning, I encourage you to do so out of the goodness and generosity of your heart as the Lord leads you to give this morning. Um, so as the, as the offering is being collected, we're blessed to have the choir leading us in, a, in an offertory this morning. I um, just want to take this opportunity to remind you of what Jack shared this morning. Next week is going to be a very special service. Um, we have the kids Sunday school program um, and also the choir cantata happening next Sunday. So I really want to encourage you to be here. We're certainly going to be blessed by both of those groups next week. And uh, and if you are um, if you're our radio listeners, we will have a special message for you that morning. So um, we really are grateful for for the many ways God is working in this church and in this ministry. And next week we'll get to see a glimpse of that as well in a very different way. So I want to invite the deacons to come forward this time for the, to collect our offering. are flooded with images we may never have been there but it's our backdrop for the Chris for the story of Christmas year after year yet long before that holy night we imagine a scene that takes place in the courts of heaven here the Creator prepares to become the created and here God commissions his angel Gabriel to descend to earth next we find ourselves in Nazareth where a devout young woman receives the news that she has been chosen by God to bear a child who will be the son of the Most High. We see a poor carpenter awakened by an incredible dream, and then we watch as Mary and Joseph respond to God's call on on their lives. Together they set off on a journey, a journey of unwavering faith that takes them to the little town of Bethlehem and the amazing miracle waiting there.
God, I invite you to remain standing if you're able as we, as we continue to worship the Lord together. Our next song is the praise song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
Amen. Amen. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, what a great reminder that that last verse holds for us. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. That's where our hope lies, isn't it? It's in Christ and his resurrection. It's in the hope of his word. It's the, sure, it's the assurance of his promises that no matter what we face in life, no matter what we experience, our hope is, lies firmly in the death and the resurrection of Christ. At Christmas, we often think of right, the hope that we have you know, in, in, this, in this child being born, right, this, our Savior coming. But we're also reminded that, reminded that he came to die for us that he came to live again for us so that we can have hope in him. And so we know that not only during our difficult seasons and and struggles, you know, we can, we can pray to the God, but we can also praise him for his deliverance and his, and his help and his hope. I don't normally do this, but I want to draw your attention to just one name on the list here today because they specifically asked me to, um, uh, don't, I won't, being on the radio and everything, I'll just mention Ed here. Um, his, his name is in the prayer list and he had been sick recently. And I asked him if we could put his list, his name in the list here, like we do so often to pray for people. And he said, yes, that's fine on one condition, but that we also praise God for his, his salvation, his, his presence. Ed is doing much better, which is a great thing. Um, so he wanted to make sure that we not only pray for him, but also praise God for his work in his life. So, um, it's just a great reminder that we can praise the Lord in the midst of the concerns of this life. That God's faithfulness in the past assures us of his faithfulness in the present and the future too. So let's lift up these concerns to the Lord, but also praise him for his goodness and his faithfulness towards us as well. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are our hope, that you are, you are our peace, that you are our joy, that you are our love. That in the midst of this season... Lord, we praise you for your goodness and your graciousness towards us. And Lord, we can certainly think of so many things to praise you for. And we do that here this morning. First and foremost, for your salvation and the hope that it provides for us. That in your death and in your resurrection, we have guaranteed hope that we too will be resurrected when you come. That all those, Lord, who die in you have the hope of eternal life, are experiencing that hope even now. And that for those that remain, Lord, for those that are here, we have that hope to strengthen us and encourage us until we too join you in your presence. Lord, we pray for all those that are grieving at this time. We pray for those that have lost loved ones recently. We pray especially, Lord, for all of us because we all carry burdens with us, great and small. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to bring those burdens to you, to lay them at the foot of your cross, that whatever we are carrying in with us this morning, Lord, that we would give it to you, that your spirit would work in us in such a way that that we don't allow those things to drive us away from you, but to drive us to you, Lord. To find the grace and the hope and the mercy and the power that we need in you and in you alone. 
I pray, Lord, for each name that's represented on the list here, for Ed and others as well. And we ask, Lord, for your continued healing and provision in their lives. Lord, whatever is needed, we ask for your presence and power to be with them. And of course, we certainly praise you, Lord, for the many good things that you have done in our lives. We pray this week also for those that are volunteering, Lord, uh, with the Operation Christmas Child at the packing centers. We thank you for their willingness to serve and take time out of their schedules, Lord, to, to serve in this ministry. And we pray for your protection upon them as they travel and for your blessings on them and their minist- that ministry as they serve in that way. We also, Lord, pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so we pray for our national leaders at this time, our president, the Congress, the Supreme Court. We pray, Lord, that as they make decisions that have an impact on us, that they'd make good and wise decisions. Decisions, Lord, that support, that are in line with your word and your will for this world. And certainly, Lord, decisions that, that promote life. And, all, and, and we pray, Lord for your guidance in their lives, that they'd have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, that they would be filled. We pray for our leaders here at First Church as well. We thank you for our elders and the many ways that they serve and uh, give back to this church, Lord. We pray for your spirit to guide them, give them wisdom and and give them, Lord, um, a servant's heart and attitude in all things, that they may, like you gave us an example, Lord. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you've heard already here this morning, uh, our scriptures that we're going to be focusing on are from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, as well as John chapter 14, verse 27. Uh, These verses were were read during the lighting of our Advent candles, so we won't reread them for you now. Uh, But if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along in there with me, I might encourage you to to look up those passages because that's where we're going to be spending most of our time here today. I invite you to pray with me once again as we turn our attention now to God's word. Father God, we thank you that you, that you are um, our, our Lord, that you are our Savior, that you are a God who redeems us. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for the peace that you provide for your people as a result of that. As we turn our attention to your word now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that you would give me words to speak, and you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Advent, and I, and I talked about this a little bit last week, but Advent is certainly a season of, of kind of waiting and preparation and expectation. And one of the themes of Advent is recognizing that this world is not as it ought to be. And it doesn't take much to realize that for ourselves. Right To look around, whether it's flipping on the news or scrolling through social media or just the everyday experience of life, we know that this world is not as it ought to be. 
We experience hardship. We experience grief. You know, we, we live in a broken world, and it's broken because of the power and the presence of sin. Right? I, I just commented to somebody this week that it just seems like there's sadness and tragedy everywhere. That's why we sing songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Right? Come and ransom captive Israel. Right? We have this song of, of, it's almost like a, 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 it's a prayer in and of itself. We're pleading with the Lord to come and set things right. And so Advent reminds us, right, that the world should not be this way. And it will not always be this way. That there is hope, that there is peace. There is joy and there is love to be found in Christ. Right, that those things don't come from this world. They don't come from our circumstances. And they certainly don't come from within us. They come from the Lord. You see, we live between those two advents, right? His first coming, at his first coming, Jesus conquered sin and death for us. Right? Those things were accomplished through the his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Jesus accomplished victory for us. Yet we live, yet we still experience sin in this world, right? Through his death and his resurrection, he broke the power of sin. But yet we also long for his second coming when he will establish his kingdom and the very presence of sin will be removed. Think about that for just a second, right? Jesus came and died on the cross for us. He was resurrected from the grave for us. And by doing so, he, he conquered sin and death in the grave. Right? The very power of sin is broken. Yet we live in a world where the presence of sin is still very real. And we still experience that on a regular basis. And so the victory has been achieved. And yet we look forward to the day when Jesus will return and, and, and fulfill that promise when he will remove even the very presence of sin from this world, where he will set everything right in the way that it should be. And so as Advent people, we stand firmly on the promises of God that were fulfilled for us in the past, yet we also look forward to when we will fully experience them at a second coming. And one of those promises is peace. In fact, in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it's this great prophecy of this child who is going to be born. And one of the titles that this child is given is Prince of Peace. See, Israel had a very um, interesting relationship with their kings. If you know the story of God's people throughout the Old Testament, you know that they didn't always have a king. Right? For a long time, they were led by people like Moses and Joshua a whole series of judges that came after that. And eventually the last of those leaders was a prophet named Samuel. And during Samuel's day, the people demanded a king. They wanted to have a king, but not just any king. They said they wanted a king like all those other nations. You see, that's the, that's the important detail that we often forget when we think of that story. It wasn't just that they wanted a king. They wanted a king like those other nations. And when they requested that, Samuel felt like they were rejecting him as their leader. But God reminded them that they weren't rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God himself. And so Samuel warns them, you want a king like other nations? This is what that means. You're going to have 
a, a person who abuses their power, who, who levies heavy taxes, who, who will recruit your sons to go off to war, who will take the first and the best of your land and your, in the first fruits. But that's what they wanted. And that's what they demanded. And that's exactly what God gave them. And that's been the story of human history, if you think about it, right? Even the best leaders, even the best human leaders fall woefully short of God's standard, of what we truly need out of a leader. And the bad ones, well, they've been very, very bad, right? You don't have to look further than first and second Kings to see prime examples of bad leadership. And as leaders go, so go the people, right? Their leadership led to war, led to violence, led to idolatry, led to God's people forsaking the Lord. You see, it's not another human king that we need, right? It's not another human leader that we need today. We need Jesus to be our king because he is the prince of peace. He's the king that we need. And he's the prince of peace that Isaiah was talking about. We have this promise that right, his kingdom will know no end, that he'll bring peace and prosperity to his people. And when Jesus was born, it was that prophecy that was fresh on King Herod's mind. right? This promised king that would come and establish God's reign and rule for all time. And so what did King Herod do? He tried to get rid of the problem, right? He tried to get rid of Jesus. He tried to, tried to, tried to destroy the threat before he even had a chance to grow up. Now, thankfully, Jesus, through God's provision and protection, was saved from that when he was a child. His family lived as exiles in Egypt until Herod died and then returned home to Nazareth. And eventually King Herod died himself, right? And all earthly powers, the good, the bad, and everything in between will eventually go the way of King Herod, right? Not, none of them, not even the best earthly leader can meet our ultimate needs or provide the peace we so desperately need. Only King Jesus can do that. And he's the king that, he's the king that was rejected by his people in his own day, mocked and ridiculed, beaten and crucified, but he's the king that we need. And as the famous song from Handel's Messiah reminds us, he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and evermore. Right? He's the king that will bring peace. So let's, let's take a few moments this morning and talk about what that peace looks like. What kind of peace does God promise for his people through Jesus? And how does that apply to the life of the believer? And so for the most part, we're going to be looking at that one single verse that, um, that the Shrolichies read for us this morning, and that is from John chapter 14, verse 27. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, right? This is the night that Jesus is going to be handed over and crucified. And this is what he tells them in John 14:27: Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There's three things from this very short verse here that we can learn about what God's peace is like. And first of all, we see that God's peace is from Jesus. It's a peace that Jesus gives to his followers. So in other words, it's not from ourselves. 
right? This peace isn't something that we can just muster up through our own willpower. It doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from Jesus himself. He gives us his peace. And so if we want to experience God's peace, then we need to know Jesus for ourselves, right? We need to know him and know his will for our lives. And and no matter who you are, no matter whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether you're watching on Facebook or listening on your radio, I can tell you what God's will is for you. His will is for you to know him and to love him and to serve him. His will is for you to be reconciled to the father through the death and resurrection of his son. All right, we see in, in Ephesians 2 what that reconciliation looks like. I want to read, uh, it's a chunk of scripture, so if you'd like to follow along with me, you can. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It describes how Jesus establishes that peace for us. And so picking up in verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made two, the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right, there's a lot, right, that Paul just said there. But there's two things I want you to notice, and they both have to do with the peace of God in our lives. And first is that, Our peace is with God, right? There's a a vertical dimension to our peace. That in Christ, God is reconciling us to himself. That in Christ's body, right, in his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled to God and we we are once again brought into relationship with him. And so we have peace with God through Christ, but we also have peace with each other, right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we, no matter who we are, no matter what we've experienced, whether Jew or Gentile, uh, man or woman, slave or free, right? We are all one in Christ. We have been brought together in him. And so not only does Christ reconcile us to himself, but he reconciles us to each other. So that means that we can experience God's peace in our relationships in this world. Right? We still struggle with sin. We still experience the reality of sin in this world. But through Christ, we can have peace with the Father and can experience peace with each other. But this peace, again, is first and foremost from Jesus. It comes in him and through him, and we can't find it anywhere else. So the first thing we notice is this peace is from Jesus. But it's peace that is unlike 
the peace that the world offers. So that's the second point, that it's not like the peace that the world gives. The world will tell you that peace is the absence of conflict, right? If you want to experience peace, then you need to remove the things in your life that are causing you trouble, right? So peace is the absence of conflict. It is removing the barriers, the conflict, the distractions from your life in order to experience peace. You know, the Romans had that sort of peace, right? In the Roman Empire, it was called the Pax Romana, right? And the Roman peace was like a bulldozer that just leveled everything that was in its way, right? So, so yes, you experience peace is because the Roman government removed anything, right? Removed the troublemakers in order to experience, in order to experience that peace. So the world says that peace is the absence of conflict, but scripture tells us that it's so much more than that. It's not the absence of something. It is the presence of something. It is the presence of God and his promises and his spirit in our lives. That's where true peace comes from. The Old Testament and the Hebrew has a word for it. They, they call that peace shalom, right? And, and that word shalom means more than just the absence of conflict. It is, it is wholeness. It is well-being. It is the way that things ought to be. So when you experience God's shalom, it's not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God's will and reign in your life. It is, it is experiencing things the way that they ought to be. And so this peace from God is, is unlike what the world gives. The world says peace is the absence of conflict, but God's peace is, is so much more than that. It is the presence of God in experiencing his peace no matter what our circumstances are. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. The third thing we see from this passage, though, what Jesus tells us is that his peace frees us from worldly fear. We, no long, we, we live in an age of fear and anxiety, don't we? We worry about anything and everything. Some of it legitimate, maybe some of it not so much. But worry and fear consume us. And so Jesus reminds us that his peace will set our hearts at ease. That we don't have to fear because he is with us. Jesus reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount, excuse me, Sermon on the Mount, that worry doesn't ultimately change anything. Right? As we worry about the things of this world, right, he says that we can't even add a single hour to our life through our worry. But God knows our concerns. Right? He knows what keeps us up at night. He knows what we're worrying about. But he also knows exactly what we need. And so we don't have to worry, right? We don't have to be anxious or be afraid because we trust that God is sovereign and that he is in control. And it's his sovereignty that brings us peace. And so peace is confidence in God's promises, right? That he will do what he promises to do. And we have passages like Isaiah 55, 11 that remind us of that. For the Lord turned to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Right? So God's saying he's not a God of empty promises. Right? God is faithful. He is good. He is just. And so he will do what he promises to do. And so, so God's peace means trusting his promises. It means putting our hope in them even when we struggle to believe that they're true. Even when we maybe don't feel like they're true, we can experience God's peace by choosing to trust them in spite of our own feelings or in spite of our circumstances. 
Now, let me remind you that it doesn't mean that we won't have trouble. Remember, I said the worldly definition of peace is the absence of conflict. But nowhere does God promise that we won't experience trouble in this world, that we won't experience conflict. We will. We will experience those things, but we can still have peace in the midst of it. As I prayed earlier, we should not allow our trouble or experiences to distract us from God. Whatever worry you have, whatever heartache you're experiencing, allow those things to bring you to God, not away from Him. Allow those fears, those doubts, that grief to draw you closer to Him. At our praise and prayer night the other night, Morgan reminded us that God is big enough to handle our fears and our doubts, right? Allow those things to move you toward him, not away from him. And so we see here in this passage from this one verse that God's peace is from Jesus. It's not like the world gives and it ultimately frees us from worldly fear. And so with a couple minutes I have left, I want to, I want to talk about the effect that that has. If those things are true, what kind of impact does it have on our lives? And so the first thing that we can learn from this is that God's peace gives us confidence in chaos, right? The world is crazy, right? We, and, but God promises that we can have peace in spite of our circumstances, right? And let's be honest with ourselves, right? We don't really value peace. We don't really understand it until we've experienced the opposite. When we've experienced the chaos, when we experience the heartache, when we experience the world falling apart around us, that's when we truly value the peace that God provides. I think the peace of God is like standing in the eye of, the, of a hurricane, right? At the very center of a hurricane is this, is this, very, is this center of, of peace where the winds are still in the center of, of the storm, right? Everything else is chaos. Everything else is destruction. But at the very center of a hurricane is the eye of the storm where everything is still and calm. I think God's peace is like that. No matter what else you are experiencing in your life, you can find peace in God's presence. And you can experience that even if everything else is chaotic around you. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4 that that God's peace is beyond our understanding. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that God provides in the midst of our chaos, right, is is beyond understanding. Because it goes beyond what the world tells you peace should be. God's peace is confidence in the chaos. Second, God's peace is hope when we feel helpless. We can find peace. We can find peace in God when we can't find it in ourselves. When the world feels like it's fallen apart, when you feel like you can't go another step, when you feel like there's, you have nothing left to give or nothing left to stand on, we can find peace because it's not from us. It's from Jesus. Your peace does not depend on you. It depends on Jesus, and he will never fail us. Ephesians 6.10 reminds us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right? It doesn't say pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It doesn't say fix all your problems yourself. It says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Scripture over and over again reminds us to find our strength in the Lord, not ourselves. When we are weak, then he is strong. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, is in you, is working in your circumstances. And so it's our struggles, our hardships, those moments of uncertainty and doubt and anxiety and fear. It's those things that force us to depend on God even more. I think Psalm 46 is, a, is, a, is such a powerful psalm because the first verses remind us that, that even if the world is, is falling apart around us, even as the earth quakes and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we can know that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That we don't have to fear because God is with us. He is our hope. His peace brings us hope even when we feel helpless. And finally, God's peace means redemption in spite of our rebellion. Right? We've already talked about this, that, that God brings us peace, not just in this world with relationships or circumstances, but first and foremost, he brings us peace with the Father through the Son. Right? We can experience new life in Christ because of what Jesus did for us. And again, it's not dependent upon us. That's the, that's the beauty, right? That's the joy. That's the hope that we have is that, that our salvation is not dependent upon us, right? We are, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are rebels, right, that have done nothing to deserve God's love or his forgiveness. Yet as Paul reminds us in Romans 5a that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1 reminds us that, that even though we were alienated from God, we were separated from him, even while we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior, we have now been reconciled. God has reconciled us to himself by Christ's physical body through death in order to present us holy in his sight without blemish or fear or accusation. Do you want to experience God's peace this Christmas season? Do you want to experience God's peace in spite of whatever circumstances you're facing? You find it in Christ through a relationship with him, through experiencing that forgiveness and that salvation for yourself. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your peace, which goes certainly beyond our understanding. Help us, Lord, to experience that for ourselves, first and foremost, with you in a relationship through your Son, Jesus Christ. And help us to experience that peace that passes understanding every day in our world, no matter what circumstances we face. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand as we sing our closing song together, number 151, Good Christian Men Rejoice.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.